Why, hello there. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. It's been a very busy weekend and here's what we've been up to. Comedy legend Bill Bailey joins us live to give us the details about his new upcoming tour en route to normal. Jodie Pico delves into her new novel, Wish You Were Here. Shepherdess and writer comes down from Yorkshire to London to give us an insight into her new book, Celebrating the Seasons. And international best-selling author Ken Follett speaks to us about his new thriller, Never. But before we get stuck in, let's chat to Maria and solve more problems in Graham's Guide in just a bit. Good morning, Graham Norton. Well done last night at Children in Need. I know, I did so much. You did. And also, normally you can do it here, but now it's in up north, it's far away from your house. It I is. know that this really contributes to most of the jobs that you say yes or no to. <laughs> really so you does. must have really felt something for Children in Need yesterday. Well, my, myself and Mel, we sort of forgot that it was in Manchester. <laughs> you know, because we do Children in Need every year. So uh, we kind of... It was like, where, sorry, where is it? <laughs> it's a couple of hours on the train. Let's not be too London-centric. No, trail. let's not be. Um, it's funny, isn't it, that it's still autumn. I mean, so we're still having those lovely sort of sunny skies. And yet, Christmas decorations are up everywhere. Oh, yeah. I oh. quite like it, though. Those And the lights under the shard are rather pretty, aren't yes, they? Yes, they're lovely. Yeah. But uh, one of the retailers that I was talking to last week, one of the retailers... One like, of the retailers. I, I, I was talking to my retailers. I spend most of my week talking to retailers, <laughs> said, you know, people, retailers, are very worried <laughs> that Christmas is going to be cancelled again. So they're just getting in as much as they can. Before. Shop, shop, shop. Go shop, crazy, everyone. Shop, shop, shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got some lovely Christmas gifts. Oh, we have. These have arrived this morning, Graham. There will be a photograph of them imminently on both my Twitter, Insta, and the um, Virgin Radio <laughs> Instagram page. There are two tiny teapots I'm holding up at the moment yes, for Graham to teapots see. In a kind of Kelly Green. Two, two tiny teapots in Kelly Green, and um, each has their own tea cosy, which resembles both Dame Nelly of Norton and myself, Lady Maria of The Sound of Music. And I have sort of got a strange twisted mouth, haven't I? <laughs> Looks like you I've are, had... Yes, you're, you're, <laughs> you look like you've just drunk, drunk some tea and maybe there was something bad in it. But I have to say, your beard and moustache, these are from um, Bunty Bombshell, which we think is Bunty and Cheadle. Is it Bunny and Cheadle? Well, is Bunny it? Cheadle, I think, does do a bit of um, arts and crafts. Okay. Yes. I think it's very clever the way you can store tea bags in the bags under my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> on the air. Well, also, in your beard and moustache, you can probably see it. But I have to say, Bunty, Bunty Bombshell, they are a sensation. And normally, Graham and I give gifts away, but we won't be. We'll be keeping these. Well, I might be giving that to my mother for her 90th, because I don't know what else to get her. So, oh. uh, what else? But a tea cosy of her son. That, I mean, you know, that would be lovely. So, you're with her always. <laughs> Do you think you might give it to your mum? <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's a nice present, but well, your mum, I think your mum doesn't doesn't really want images of you about the house. No, and also she doesn't really remind her that her son is an old man. You don't want an old man, tea cosy. Well, there's a clue in the fact that she's ninety. Can I just say? Yeah, she needs no more reminders. No more reminders. Um. So, yes, how has she got to be ninety, Rhoda, in Ireland? Then I know it's incredible, isn't it? Ninety years old, and she's and still going strong. Still going strong. Uh, sharp attack, and yeah. So I'll I'll be back there next week seeing her. So yes, it's sharp exciting. as a deck. I got her a book for her. 
her um, birthday. You'll see in that bag that I bought in. Um, I didn't. I didn't want to suggest it was, but I did have a. I did have a bit of a squeeze of it <laughs> because I didn't want any liquids in it, uh, and then I could be, you know, it's th- a puppy thrown off a plane. <laughs> no, it's... I, I got her a fish tank. <laughs> it's not. Li- <laughs> Why would I get rid of liquids? That's hilarious. Well, because it might be some sort of, you know, some sort of cream or oh, I see, yeah. unguents. Yes, like that. Uh, unguents. Graham, can I just tell you, I did a thing this week where oh, I yeah. went on a trampoline. Now, trampoline. That's so dangerous. No, 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 no. I used to do trampolining, so I can do a backflip <laughs> and I can do a forward flip. And, you know, you remember... There's doing only one way to his end. Star ends. jumps. No, no. All it was was... You know, it's that thing of not realising that it's been a long time since I've yes. been on a trampoline. Yes. <laughs> and it's not so much the limbs. They can still pucker up and do it, throw themselves over my head and do a backflip. That was all good. It's, you know, breathing. You have to breathe for a long, long time. Yes. In great big, deep gulps. Is that one of those exercises that's anaerobic? No, it's aerobic. Well, I don't know, because aerobic means we're there. Yeah. So, basically... But I think anaerobic means you can't get enough air or something. Well, no, it? And you I burn think, lots of calories, and I it's think good. aerobic means that it's constant, constant, uh, we're there. But anaerobic is short, sharp, stops, like... Squash, I think, is anaerobic. Okay, I'll just play some Ed Sheeran now. And uh... <laughs> I know, I sort of bored myself. I had, I had ringing in my ears. As... I know the trampoline was exciting for you, and you got to do your breathing. <laughs> no, no, but um, somebody will tell us about anaerobic and aerobic. I'm sure because there are yes. very, very clever people that listen to Virgin Radio. Virgin Radio. I will read you a letter, Graham, and here it is. Oh, in the future, Graham's Guide. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yes. Yes, just have to do that. <laughs> That's yeah. opportune, isn't it? Yeah. Dear Graham and Maria, I'm a final year student and I'm living with three other girls, one of whom is a friend I've known since I was four. She never does any washing up, takes the bins out or does anything like that. Okay, which is annoying, but actually that's not the problem as we can deal with it. Oh, good. Yeah. (laughs) However, she's also got a boyfriend that's over all the time and he's in our house five or six nights a week. When he's not around, she's at his, so it means we never get to see her or spend any time with her. I tried to talk about it a couple of months ago and she said she wanted a bit more space from him too. But since then, nothing has changed. We were all friends before they started dating, but now I'm starting to resent him a bit because he's around all the time. I feel like I can't bring it up to her because he's always there. We're not living together next year, so I'm not sure if I should just leave it or confront her about it. I just really miss my friend. And that it's from Jess in Barnet. Oh, Jess in Barnet. I feel for you on this. You've known her since you were four. However, you say she never does any washing up, takes the bins out or does anything like that, but that's not the problem. Well, Jess in Barnet, that should be the problem because that's the beginning of a bigger picture, which is showing very little consideration for the other three people she lives in a house with, both with the bins, both with the washing up, both with cleaning or whatever. So now, not only has she got away with that, she's getting away with bringing a partner in six days a week, which is too much. You know, if you wanted to live with five people, you'd have lived with five people. You want four people and occasional boyfriends over for those type of sort of evenings yes. <laughs> that, that we all need. Doing the washing up. Yeah, doing the washing up. So, um, look, you've got two other people that you're living with. That must get on their nerves as well. I would say to you, Jessin Barnett, look, you're not going to be living together next year, so just leave it. However, I'm annoyed with this girl 
and you've known each other since you were four. She's your friend. She is not paying any attention to your friendship. Yes. And that is hurtful to you. And I can feel and hear the hurt in your letter, Jess. So I think you do need to say something. I think it's two, se- two separate things. One is the house situation. Get the other two girls on board. Get her in a room and say, look, we can't have you know, him round all the time. A, we miss you, and B, it's not fair. And also, here's the cleaning rotor and when the bins go out. Um, you might need this in your next place next year, especially if you shack up with him, and nobody's going to do it then, clearly. What do you think, Graham? Well, I think... what's I guess Jess feels a sense of responsibility for this uh, girl, woman, because she's known her since she was four. So it's kind of... It, it's on her watch that this person is in the house, the, you know, not doing the bins or doing... But also, I think this is a classic, particularly younger people, when they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, suddenly that person becomes their entire world. Yeah. And they don't... They forget about their friends and they just hope that Jess is there when this all comes crashing down. Um, <laughs> I love your your fatalistic approach to this. It's like, of course, it's all going to come well, crashing down. You, know. you see, you and I, with the wisdom of age, Graham, yes. we know that it's best just to see someone once a week. Yeah, we <laughs> we know because it get, you get to an age where you know how stories end, and you you just I do. Know, but people will say sometimes they end well, and your thing is that's just because they haven't ended yet, <laughs> isn't it? No, no, no. I would say sometimes it do end well. And you know how that story ends as well. But in this particular instance, yeah. we read this letter and we know how it ends. Yes, we the, do. The uh, relationship ends and then she comes crying to Jess. And, and Jess will be there because yes. that's what friends do. Yeah, and I would say Jess has had the conversation. You know, she's had the conversation. And the friend went, yes, I need more me time too. And that was great. And then, and then nothing changed. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't bother having that conversation again. Uh, because what's the point? So uh, you just think stick around for when it all goes wrong. Well, and then you won't be living together, which would be great. Uh, and also, Jess might have a boyfriend then, by then. And then... She'll be doing the same. And the friend will write to us and say, my good friend Jess. I've known her since I was four. four. She used to take my bin out. <laughs> <laughs> and do my washing up. Yeah. Now, nothing. Um, so I... Uh, look, uh, hang on, Jess. Just hang on, because I think this will sort itself out. I think the domestic annoyance it will be removed when you're living in separate places. So your friendship can get back on more of an even keel where you just where you decide to see each other let's let's meet up tonight for a drink yeah, it's not and you'll decide to see each other without him I yeah. mean it is annoying when you're all paying rent and he's not but he's there six nights a week that's that is, annoying it's too much too it's much. too much and and also you know that I know she's your friend but the other two should say something as well well that's why I think there's strength in numbers if she gets if she talks to the other two so they can be annoyed too yeah but also it is just a rookie error to just abandon all your friends for a boyfriend so yeah, yeah. Uh, don't do it don't people. do it don't do it Dab responses are part one and my favorite responders today will be receiving uh, courtesy of waitress a Christmas Gianjura torta da festa. Do you know I've never lived in Italy? Uh, did I mention that? I've, I, I've never lived there. This is... You're thinking, what is that, Graham? Do we want it? You do. It's a festive party cake filled with hazelnut and chocolate filling. You see? Encased in bittersweet dark chocolate and sprinkled with toasted hazelnuts. Ooh. Apparently, it's an early Christmas present from our friends in the Piedmont region of Italy. In the Piedmont region of Italy, they love this cake. They go, can I have some Giandua torta da festa? 
Por favor? No, no, it's not, that's not that's not Italian. Anyway, uh, that's what you're getting if I like your responses. Well, let's see what you thought. Lynn in the world. I was in a similar situation to Jess's friend many years ago and my boyfriend offered to contribute to food and heating bills. It all sorted itself out and reader, I married him. Oh, that lovely. Oh, I did take out the rubbish, etc. though. Of course you did, Lynn in the world. I would think nothing less of you. Uh, well, that's lovely. See, the, so uh, maybe, see, I was saying I know how the story ends. Not according to Lynn in the world. In her version of the story, she marries him. So you're never going to see her again, Jess. There you go. Rachel's in Hildenborough. I think Jess should text, maybe speak, to her friend and arrange a date for a girls' night out or in. Just the two of them. With luck, they'll have so much fun, they'll want to keep having nights out together. Jess will get her friend back and the friend will have some much-needed space from the boyfriend. I know what you mean, Rachel, but things if friendships become like work like that, if you have to kind of try that hard to maintain them, it kind of takes the joy out of them, I think. Jess is so inconsiderate, so says Paul in Peckham. Of course her flatmate doesn't do the washing up, etc. She's too busy with her boyfriend. Maybe set a rota for the cleaning, but forget about her boyfriend. They'll be gone soon. Well, Paul, I would have said the same, but not according to Lynn in the world. Lynn in the world thinks they're getting married. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to give the... Gianduia <clears throat> torta festa. Maybe look at a picture for the box. Don't 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 take my word for it. If you're going to wait to us and ask for this, <laughs> they'll be so, they'll be bringing you things for some time. Is it this? Um, anyway, it's a lovely it's a lovely cake for the people of region. I'm going to give it to Lynn in the Wirral for her happy ending to that story. Graham's guide. Second problem. This is quite long, Graham. All right. You want to have a little snooze. Dear Graham and Maria, my best friend is getting married in May and I'm his best man. Woohoo! We're as thick as thieves and have an amazing friendship. The only problem is I cannot stand his fiance and I feel like he's making a huge mistake. I feel that their relationship is toxic. She's controlling, jealous, and stops him from doing what he wants to. On the rare occasions he is allowed out, he's bombarded with messages all night and in the past has had to send photos to prove where he is. He looks for her approval on anything discussed and it's clear he's treading on eggshells when he's around her. She speaks to him and their children with no respect in front of others and I'm starting to find it hard to bite my tongue. To the outside world, their social media posts show the most in love couple in the world but I know that isn't true well ain't that the truth away from her he's a totally different person relaxed and fun he says he knows what he's getting into but when asked why he's marrying her the only reason he can give is that he's getting old the situation is now affecting me as it's all I can think about well really I'm finding it hard to socialise with them both and I'm beginning to feel bitter about their relationship do I have an open and honest chat with my friend but potentially ruin the closest friendship I have? And that's from Dan in Chester. Well, Dan in Chester, I'm still slightly um, unsure about how you feel about your best friend's yeah. future wife. Um, I will say Dan in Chester. I mean, you know, you give it to her in no uncertain terms. Um, look, they've got children together. They have children together. Not just one child, children together. So... This is 
This is not the first flush of youth. This is not, I don't know what I'm getting into. He knows. He's had children with this woman. He knows. I mean, getting older is not a good enough reason for getting married, perhaps. However, it is entirely his business. He's a grown-up. He's got children. Maybe slightly weaker one. But you don't know anything about what happens behind closed doors. And this is how their relationship works. This is the dynamic that you see. Maybe elsewhere there's a different dynamic. You know, normally there's somebody takes care of one thing and someone takes care of something else. So I think I'm also getting a little bit of jealousy. I don't know about you, Graham. What do you think? Well, I just think... You know, Dan, happily, you're not marrying her. Um, because this this is your friend, and I get it. You you love your friend, and you want them to be happy, and you think he's making a mistake. But however, he's clearly attracted to this. This somehow, Something in the dynamic of this relationship is what your friend likes. Mm. He likes having a girlfriend who you know, is jealous or mm. wants to know where he is or... And that's probably uh, the opposite from what Dan in Chester Yeah, wants. exactly. So something about this works for your friend. For now. Now, it, it may not last forever. We know how stories end. But... Uh, <laughs> we sound like a couple of old sages that have nothing good to say uh, about anything. Uh, that's not true. Look that's the, just Graham. Yeah, look out the window. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh. Um, um, so, Dan from Jester, I would say, uh, you know, <clears throat> keep your speech short <laughs> at the wedding and just let it happen because it's going to happen. Keep your speech positive. Oh, yes. Don't, don't suddenly become some sort of, like... I'm telling you, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> yes, no, really. I mean, you know, you're there to, as a best man to do a best man's job and that's what you must do regardless of what you think. It's Susie Showbiz all the way down from Chester. Yeah, and, you know, and like I say, just think about it in terms of your friend. Your friend wants to do this. He asked her to marry him. It's like, this, you know, so this is his idea. Mm. He wants it to happen. And if if it goes wrong, then you'll be there for your friend. But you you may, you will see less of your friend, I guess, if you, you know, but but she sounds like she's been around for a long time. Well, I don't know why. Children. It, yeah. I don't know why it's got worse, but it seems I know, to be worse. And I think when Dan says the situation is now affecting me as it's all I can think about, Dan, you need to have a good long word with yourself in the mirror here because... Get a life. Well, I guess the, the idea of a, a wedding does focus everyone's mind. Yeah. Because suddenly you're not thinking, oh, they might split up. You're thinking, oh, wow, OK, this is forever. So... Uh, well, also, we know that marriages split up all the time. One in two marriages split up. Sorry, now I'm sounding like the doom naysayer. I can't believe people are getting ready for their wedding right now. <laughs> but those ones will be fine, yeah, Graham. The, yeah, just look at... You know, unless there's two of you, in which case one of you. <laughs> <laughs> but, Dan, I do think you have to just step back from this because I think you've let it get to you and it's now obsessing your entire life and yeah. that's wrong in a minute the wedding will be finished and you'll get back to normal and you'll go out with your friend for drinks and he will send pictures back to his now wife of where he is to prove that he's not with another woman yes uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> you put a blonde wig on and get him into trouble <laughs> the response is part two what do the listeners think Sarah is from Redditch. I would ask him if he's OK and if it's what he wants or what she wants and make sure he's not being manipulated into this marriage with the children being used as pawns. Pawns, I tell you. Tell him you will always be there if he needs you and you're happy for him if this is what he wants. It's, 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 a bit, it's, it's almost like you've been jilted, isn't it? <laughs> I'll wait. I will wait for you. I mean, it's lovely. 
two blokes are, you know, friends. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. For now, this appears to be what your friend wants. If you care for your friend, be there for him. Be the voice of reason. Make sure you keep going out. I'm sure he'll end up wanting to have a good moan. That's from Jonathan Donington. I imagine he will want to have a good moan. Uh, Cleo is in Rochford. Uh, the only thing you can do is be there for all your friend's ups and downs. You won't change his mind while he's head over heels in love, but he will remember you being there for him over the years and it will strengthen your friendship. And in the end, that's all you can do. What are you going to do? You're not going to split these people up. You know, that would be, that would be crazy. It's just, you know, you're, you've sounded a word of caution, it sounds like, and your friend says he's getting married because he feels like he's getting a bit long in the tooth and, you know, guess he feels like he's not going anywhere. This is the mother of his children. Uh, Kath is in Norfolk. The future wife sounds like a deeply insecure person, but obviously your best friend is okay with that and happy to indulge her behaviour. There's nothing you can do except raise your glass to the happy couple. You know what, Catherine Norfolk? That is really the bottom line. That's all you can do is just wish them well. So uh, let's send the uh, fancy Piedmont cake, courtesy of toast, to Kath in Norfolk. She's getting it. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's a Waitrose Christmas. Virgin Radio. He's here, ladies and gentlemen, my first guest of the day. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, I could do an introduction, but, you know, I haven't written one. And it's Bill Bailey. Everyone knows Bill Bailey. Hello. Uh, hello. Hello. Uh, how are I'm you? I'm very well, thanks. Uh, I was just saying, the last time I saw you, you were in the midst of Strictly. I was, right in the thick of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did anyone put? Did anyone in your family put money uh, at the beginning of Strictly on you winning? Yes, my wife did. <gasps> she must have made a fortune. <laughs> she did. She, no, did. she I mean, made quite a pretty penny. Yeah. Because I, I, I was thinking about you and I was thinking, wow, if somebody bet on yeah. you winning... Lots of people really regretted not betting, obviously. <laughs> But uh, a friend, of, a friend of ours. Well, you will know um, a fellow comedian, Geordie comic Dave Johns. Oh yeah. Um, he said because he he like he, you know he likes to put a have a flutter, and he kept texting me, <laughs> sort of saying, "How is it going?" Because I put a bet on, so you know pressure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a bit of a turn up all yeah. round. So he did well out of yes, it as well, yeah. Absolutely. And what was the? Do you remember the moment in your head when? Because I don't know what your approach was when you went into it. What, yeah. did, you, what did you think? What you? What did you think was going to happen when you went into it? Uh, do you know, Graham? I mean, obviously that my expectation ranged wildly from <laughs> from not falling over. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the kind of big. That was the big sort of headline. <laughs> In my head, yeah, dream don't, big. Just don't try not to knock in this, knock someone over, tread on someone's foot. I mean, it ranged that was the kind of minimum, and then it went all the way down to actually knocking someone, you know, cannoning into one of the judges. <laughs> so, so it was pretty low, I gotta say. The bar was set pretty low, so um, you know, everything was a bonus, really. And do you remember a moment where your mindset shifted and you kind of think? Actually, I can do this. I can, I'm good at this. Yeah. Do you know what? There was a couple of things. It was week two when I did the quick step, and uh, there's a little dart. There's a move, a, a step in the quick step, which is called the the, the scatter chasse. Of course, as of you, course as it you is. know. Apologies, listeners. Yep. So, yeah, yes. Uh, <laughs> and it's a triple beat thing. And anyway, I don't know because of, maybe because of knowing what that is in music. When I know what a triplet is, I know you know how you to put three notes to one. Something like that. I don't know. Some incipient dance gene <laughs> that just was kind of reactivated. Anyway, I just managed to 
get it. And Oti was suddenly kind of shocked and thought, wow, if you can do that, then perhaps there's these other things you can do. And so that was a bit of a moment. And then by week four, when we did The Rapper's Delight, suddenly I realised, I'm, I'm really enjoying I think I've got the hang of this. So yeah. from that point on, it was it was just joyous. But listen, now back to the day job. Back yes. to the day job. Uh, a tour on route to normal, starting in uh, Plymouth on December the 12th, goes right through to Belfast on the 15th. Now, these are arenas. Am I right in thinking you don't normally do arenas, do you? No, well, not normally. I mean, the thing is, these dates were booked a long time ago. We had to kind of, you know, you had to reserve venues because venues sort of fill up a long time in advance. And the idea was, we thought, you know, thinking ahead at the time when things were pretty grim, that there might not be the opportunity to have a sort of, you know, full capacity um, audience. Yeah. So we thought if we have a bigger venue, at least then what we can do is divide it up into little pods. Should it come Spread to that? Spread them out. Spread yeah. them out a bit. Yeah, lovely. If, yeah. if that happens. <laughs> so um, the, obviously, the, the you know, the, the avowed intent is that that's not the case, but we'll see. You know, um, hopefully we'll get a full capacity or as many people as, we, as we're allowed. And is this a show you wrote in lockdown? Well, I started, right, yeah, I mean, the title I came up with before we'd even heard of COVID-19. <laughs> it's, 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 it's your fault. It's, it's, I slightly blame <laughs> you, myself. You manifested it. I preempted it. I've got this weird, I've jinxed it. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, just like to apologise unreservedly to the world. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, um, and it was. It was a lot of. Um, it's it's an interesting kind of the idea of creative, you know, being creative in lockdown. I think that was a sort of big um, issue for a lot of artists. From what to tell, yeah. how to write, what do you write about? You know, being in isolation. So there's a lot of that. A lot about that. A lot about the music, the process of writing, and using the, um, the sounds of lockdown to kind of as an inspiration. So it was. Uh, it was quite a sort of. It's a lot different to normal writing. Yeah, because I've talked to I've talked to writers and stuff, and they say you know it's very hard to, to write because you're not talking to people you're not yeah. meeting people things aren't sparking your brain so yeah. like how do you find the funny well, when nothing's well, happening I know it is it's I was having to kind of have conversations with myself well what do you think of that well I think that's quite funny and then <laughs> I would, and, and, and I do material to myself and they go well that's quite good and it's <laughs> it was very, very strange. And a lot of it was down to more deep dives into memory. I think that was the thing, because a lot of my previous tours, like the one before Larks in Transit, was very much about, I mean, the whole thing was about travel. It's about meeting people, having experiences. <laughs> and of course, that's not being a, a, the, you know, open to us. So it was very much about reflection and memory and yeah, you know, um, those kinds of uh, sort of uh, creative. And was sources. there a nice thing that happened in your house? Because I, because Dax, how how old is your son, Dax? Well, you know, he's about to become eighteen. He's nearly eighteen. So, in a couple of was weeks. it as a dad? Was it kind of sweet that you got to spend that time with him when you know? Because soon he'll be, you know, coop. Yeah. Flown. He's gone. That's it. It was. It was actually, and we did. A, and it was. It was very much like we had our own, you know, little routine in the house. You know, me and my wife were one bit, and he's he had his own room, and we'd kind of meet every now and again. We'd meet and have a sort of little family, <laughs> you know, like a little get together, and then we'd retreat to our various little corners. But um, yeah, it was. It was lovely spending time with everyone. Yeah, because of course, strictly, he couldn't. You couldn't hang out with him at all. No, could you? that's yeah. right. No, he wasn't in our bubble. Yeah. Unfortunately, so which he was didn't seem to be that bothered about. I gotta say, he was like, yeah, shrugged, you know, teenage, yeah, whatever, yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, so he had his own, he did his own thing. Quite happy with it. We were talking about this during the the record, but John and Lester has asked, uh, I love the musical elements of your shows. Have you thought about including your new dancing skills? Because of well, course, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we were just talking about that yeah. very thing. Yes, of course. I mean, I was just saying to, to Graham that um, in my recent show, I was doing a show at the Royal Opera House, and uh, I'd written a little sort of routine about the dance of the Red Bird of Paradise, and I tried to illuminate, uh, illustrate that with a dance. And um, I got to the end of the dance, and then the audience insisted that I do it again. So, uh, <laughs> so I think that dance is now going to be a part of my show. Not all the show, obviously, but there'll be elements of it in there, I'm sure. Yeah, because there must be. Can you tell, like, looking out at the crowd, can you tell Bill Bailey fans from Strictly fans? I know they're kind of the same now. They're but... sort of yes, they're kind of merged, really. I mean, they're quite. My demographic's quite broad anyway, so I, I'm hoping that it. <laughs> There's a sort of good crossover, or or else there's going to be lots of dance fans in the front row just going. I hope he does the paso, but put, put, the, put their fingers crossed. Paso, paso, paso doble. So I don't know. With, well, pa- with paddles, score paddles yeah, in their bag. That's right. <laughs> um, what do? Is it true that you want to represent the United Kingdom at Eurovision? Well, do you know what? I I, I mentioned this as a kind of just. A, it was a jokey tweet that I put out last year when I watched the. Um, uh, the, the the broadcast and I just you know and we you know lost and we didn't come do very well and no. I just thought not again oh come on we keep making the same mistakes and I think is um I sort of semi seriously because I'm fascinated by it I've watched every one since I was a kid I mean I think it's just extraordinary there's nothing quite like it really no. it's been going since 1956 for goodness sake and it's now more popular than ever so why not you know and I sort of go down into the analytics of it all like and, and I talk about this in the show we're getting the the beat wrong you've got to get the bpm right you've got to get the key right d minor that's the key i mean it's the it's the one are winners always in d minor that it punches way above its weight in terms of keys in terms of winners <laughs> I'm, I'm just nodding like I understand what yeah, you're talking exactly, about. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. interesting. Oh, yeah. wow, wow. <laughs> and not, and not, not songs, you know, you want songs about, you don't want walking, running, you don't want any of that. Flying's good. Oh, okay. In the lyrics, flying's yeah. good. Don't mention the heart too too much, too, that's been done. <laughs> don't go on by the heart, my heart, my heart. No, forget that. It's got to be the eyes, the mind. <laughs> I like you do a middle European accent. <laughs> See, even you think we're not going to win. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's a foreign voice. A foreign voice is singing the my song. eyes in the storm. <laughs> You've got to mention thunder. The thunder's got to be in there, you know. D minor, thunder, eyes. You're going to win. No, because I thought after... Um, you know, poor old James didn't do very well. Yes. I thought, well, we're never going to get anyone to represent now. No. Apparently, so many people have come forward saying, yeah, we'd like to have a go. Yeah, I think so. Because the thing is, well, I mean, go up and goes, can it get any worse? Can, it, can, we, can we do any worse? The, the bar is no, quite low The bar is low, no, it's right. Just, just maybe not last. That would be good. That would be a start. As the commentator, I pray for that day. It's so hard to think of positive things oh, God, to say. Oh, must be, yeah. 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 You feel so bad for them. Oh. <laughs> and uh, tell me this. So after the tour, yes. um, is, is it, are you back, going to try, are you back on telly? Or are you, what's happening in uh, your life? In the new year, um, doing a few shows, and I'm, what I have to do is pick up the European tour that's got sort of you know curtailed due to the um, the pandemic happening. Mm-hmm. So that will be um, the first part of the year, and then I've just got various TV projects that were all sort of put on hold and put on permanent pause for you know the last couple of years. Yeah. So there's lots of things happening. And do you you know that thing when we're in lockdown, you kind mm-hmm. of think, oh, I, I wish I could get out. I wish I could do things, yeah. and then. 
now we can, it's a bit like, oh, I'd quite like to stay home. Yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> are, a bit that. Are you having that feeling as this tour as this tour looms? Are you as thinking? it moves towards and the, the nights are drawing in. <laughs> it's, it's cold and wet. I think, really, was this a good idea? But, yes, um, I guess the thing is that, yes, this is the sort of thing I'd be doing in any, you know, sort of most years. So it sort of feels like, you know, this is... As I say, as the tour suggests, it's we're heading towards what normal is, but whatever that is. Um, oh well, I, I bet know. you it'll be an amazing night out on uh, route to normal. Uh, tickets available at BillBailey.co.uk, and on there you can find out where you're going yeah. and all other things like that. Uh, thank you so much for coming in no. to see us. Oh, now I tell you what, we're going to be playing uh, Prince and Kiss. Do you know what 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 would you dance to Prince Kiss? Oh, pr- the ki- oh, Kiss. Kiss. Ding, 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 Paso. Passive, Lovely. Lovely. No, Thank we're you. On, we're on it. We're on it. Thank you very much, buddy. Take care of yourself. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's a Waitrose Christmas. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my second guest of the day. Oh, uh, she's an extraordinary writer, best-selling, mega-selling writer. I think, I think by my calculations, this is her 25th book for adults. Her name is Jodie Pico and she joins us now. Hello, Jodie Pico. Hey, Graham, it's good to talk to you again. Oh, lovely, lovely, lovely to talk to you. I'm in awe. How quickly (laughs) did you write this book? It's like there's steam coming off the pages. (laughs) This was the fastest book I've ever written, and I write pretty fast. It took me about a little over two months to do a first draft of this book. It just kind of came exploding out. Wow, because I saw it online. I saw online that it was coming out, and I was thinking, hang on, I'm sure we're not due a Jodie Pico book till next year. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, so this, obviously, you had to write this book. This wasn't a choice. Mm-hmm. You you right. felt compelled to write it. Right. Um, so, you know, this is the book that I think of as the book that I never wanted or intended to write. Uh, it's called Wish You Were Here, and it's basically... Um, the story of a young woman who has her whole life planned out for her, uh, knows that she is about to get engaged to her boyfriend, she's a surgical resident, um, on their bucket list vacation that they're taking the next day. And she's got, um, she's right on the cusp of a job promotion. She knows when she's gonna have kids, she knows it all. And the book opens on March 13th of 2020, which is the day that New York City really shut down because of the pandemic. And it's told against the pandemic when uh, Diana, this woman, finds out from her boyfriend that he can't leave, he can't leave the hospital. So she winds up going alone to the Galapagos Islands and being completely out of her comfort zone. And this is really about what it's like when when you're in paradise and the rest of the world has gone to hell. Um, It's kind of about how we as humans can be resilient uh, in the face of great adversity. And what's clever, I think, is as a reader, you're never overwhelmed. Because, I mean, as she's sending yeah. postcards back, we're getting mm-hmm. these kind of email postcards from the front line. Um, yes. Who were you talking to to get... Do you do you know someone who, who worked in that area? Because they're so specific and, and kind of visceral, those snapshots of, of the hospitals. Yeah, no, I I actually didn't know people who were uh, officially on the front line. So I kind of put out a call on the internet, on social media, and I had people asking, you know, their their spouses or their friends to contact me. And I was very specific about what I wanted to pick when it came to talking to people for research, which of course I did all over Zoom, like everything else we did last year. Um, And 
basically, I, I wanted young surgical residents who were pulled out of their education and their training because of COVID. Because when there are no more elective surgeries in a hospital, since every bed becomes a COVID bed, you stop your training and you stop your learning. And I do believe having talked to all these people that we, are, we haven't even begun to see the fallout in the medical community, not just from you know, post-traumatic stress disorder of last year and the lack of mental health support, but because we have a whole group of young doctors who did not get the kind of education they were supposed to get last year. Wow, that's slightly worrying. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's something you didn't really think about, right? Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, Jody. Thanks. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> great. Uh, we should yeah. say that there, there are lots of other things in the book. There's yeah. like what it's so kind of uh, uh, sort of wasteful in a way. Like there's a fantastic uh, backstory about a Toulouse-Lautrec painting that could be a yeah. whole novel in itself. Uh, yeah, and the it's funny because um, this is an imaginary to lose the track painting. And I have had so many people write me to say, I've tried to find it on the internet, but I can't <laughs> find it anywhere. So I feel very good about that. Um, but, you know, there is a whole art backstory because that is Diana's field and her family was involved in art. And um, I really wanted to play along with the metaphor of impressionism. If you go to see a Monet painting and you are standing four inches away from it, it looks like a bunch of blobs, right? Pretty mm -hmm. colored blobs. But in order to really see what you're looking at, you need to step back a few feet. And all of a sudden, oh, it's water lilies. Oh, it's a cathedral. You know, you can totally see what the artist was getting at. And that I think is what the pandemic is. We need the distance that we're beginning to have right now to really understand what happened, how we felt about it, what we learned about ourselves. Um, you know, this book, the reason I wrote it last year was because I was so unseemed as a human being. I couldn't focus on anything. I didn't know how to write a single word anymore. And this for me was therapy. Coming up to my office every day and sitting down, I was able to say, oh, I know who you are. You're a writer. I remember how to do this. This is muscle memory. It really gave me purpose and helped me come to terms with a lot of the the things that I was feeling in 2020 and the things that scared me and the things that were unflattering that I discovered about myself that I needed to process. And I never expected to publish this. I, I was really writing it for myself, gave it to a couple of writer friends, and they both said to me the same thing, which is, oh my God, this felt like the hug I couldn't get in 2020. And I thought maybe it's not just therapy for me. Maybe we all need some kind of blueprint to help us move out of this pandemic stage. And also because it's 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 such a great book, Jody. You've done such a great job. Thank you. And because it's about so many other things, it's I, mm. yeah. I, I, as you right. say, it's it's the I suppose it's the things in our lives that mm -hmm. the pandemic threw into kind of stark yeah. focus. It's all about all of right. those things. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to, it's fun oh, to it's no. fun to be able to chronicle it as as a historian, as an artist, right? To be able to remember what it was like at the beginning when we've already forgotten how we were washing our broccoli and leaving our mail out for forty eight hours. <laughs> right? But on the other hand, it's, it's really about what it means to be human and to connect with people and how, how we reorganize our lives when everything is upended like an apple cart. I must say, though, I'm annoyed with you. I was reading this book and I was, oh, thinking, oh, this, and I was thinking, oh, this is so good. I can talk to Jody about this. Oh, I'll talk about this. I'll talk about uh, this. I'll do this. And then got to the twist. And I'm like, well, now yeah. we can't talk about anything. Now, the twist, yes, yes. It's, it's a, we should say there is a big twist in this book. Yeah. There is a huge twist in this book. I think it's actually the biggest twist I've ever written. And that's coming, that's saying a lot coming from me. But um, 
it was a, it, I knew what the twist was going to be. And uh, I, I'm very proud of you because you haven't given anything away yet. So well done, no, you. No, for me, <laughs> for me, I always judge twists against uh, Sarah Waters in Fingersmith. Have you read that? <laughs> yes. I always, all twists are, are compared to that. This is up there. This is up there with Sarah Waters and Fingersmith. Thank you so much. <laughs> Jody, tell me this, because normally as writers uh, get older, so do their protagonists. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. But Diana, she's 29. Was that just for commercial reasons or just you were more interested in someone their life at that point hitting this pandemic great and that is such a good question i don't think i've been asked that yet so hats off to you um you know it's honestly it was the right age for this story i felt um one of the things that i was really cognizant of was that everyone lost something last year you know you could be a, a, a elementary school kid, you know, five or six years old, and you lost going to in-person school, or you could be missing a graduation, you could be missing a prom. I think that no matter what age you were, there was some, you know, realm of loss. And to me, the people who were right at the cusp of having their lives start, that was some of the the biggest losses to me. Um, you know, I, I am definitely not 29, I'm 55, but my kids are all right around that age. So it was easy to kind of see how their lives were turned inside out and how their friends' lives were turned inside out and how they began to not only regroup, but really change their thinking afterward. You know, a lot of kids that age are kind of saying like, well, I don't want to work in an office. I don't want to do a commute. I actually would rather work at home now because I can use that time now for my own purposes and to connect with people I love. And that I think was something we didn't always give ourselves the grace to believe in. Uh, prior to the pandemic. Um, you know, that's a positive change. So uh, it was really interesting to me to explore a person at that age who thinks they've got it all figured out and absolutely does not. And then at the other end, we've got uh, Diana's mother, who's in a care home, which was another, mm. this awful right. tragedy that befell so many people with families being separated. Yeah, it was really important to me to kind of get that moment in there because there were so many people who learned what a privilege it is to sit at the bedside of somebody you love when they're sick or when they're dying. I mean, really, did anyone think that was going to be something that we had to beg for or hope for? No, we, we took that for granted. Um, so, you know, and Diana and her mother have a very complicated relationship and it's not a good one at the beginning of the book. And they really have to um, take a whole journey together to get to the point where that's something Diana wants to do and misses doing. And it's interesting that in writing a book in lockdown, you didn't kind of, you didn't lock down. You know, all of this book is not where you are. It's the Galapagos. Right. It's New York. Yeah. It's it's very, right. it's like you are yeah. like a mind tourist. Yeah. And the funny thing is, this book kind of was seeded for me because I, I mean, I was actually literally in lockdown for 15 months. I have asthma. I did not leave my house except to go hiking in the woods. And um, when I heard about a news story about a Japanese tourist who had gone to Machu Picchu and got stuck there when the country closed down. And instead of going home, he wound up becoming part of the community, teaching martial arts to the kids and the community permission, petitioned the government to open up the site so he could see it. Well, I thought, hmm, that's really interesting, but I've never been to Machu Picchu. I have been to the Galapagos. I took my kids there when they were little. And I thought maybe I can write from my photographs and my memory. And, you know, so in many ways, I, I was an armchair traveler, you know, doing that. And what's happened now? Because this book is unexpected. We weren't expecting a mm -hmm. Jodi Piku book now. Is your, <laughs> is your schedule kind of knocked off forever? Or is, <laughs> is there going to be, is your two-year book still coming out next year? 
It, it is. Ironically, I wrote the manuscript for the 2022 book, which is co-written with a wonderful author named Jenny Boylan um, for 2022. I did that in the early part of the pandemic. This came later when I was sitting there twiddling my thumbs and didn't know what else to do with myself. So um, that is ready to go. It's coming out in 2022. I can't wait for you guys to read that either. It's called Mad Honey. And uh, then I'll be back on schedule, I hope, and give you something else in 2024. <laughs> we look forward to it. Uh, Wish You Were Here by Judy Pucco hit shelves on Thursdays. And I'm sure just like your last 12 books, it will be number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, so lovely to talk to you. Congratulations on the book and uh, good luck with it. Take care of yourself. Thank you. Thanks, right. Graham. Talk to you again. Bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. There's still a lot more to come. We hear from our guest, Ken Follett, will be giving us an insight into his new thriller, Never. And Amanda Owen joins me in the studio to talk about her new book, Celebrating the Seasons. But before all that, let's see what Martha's been up to in the kitchen. Martha Collison is here, sans trolley today, no (laughs) ding-ding. Very easy parking, very easy commute for you today. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, So now this is a Thanksgiving... Thanksgiving kind of is becoming a thing here. It is a bit, isn't it? I feel like the discount shopping became a thing and then we all thought actually probably should give a nod to the reason that we're having Black Friday, which is obviously Thanksgiving on Thursday, which is really exciting. It is. Not as exciting as Black Friday. But... I mean, <laughs> that's exciting too. Yeah. But I love Thanksgiving food. It's just, it's kind of got its own little brief. Yeah. And it's just full of all these recipes and dishes that we don't really have very often in the UK, like kind of, what is it, sweet potato with marshmallows on top. I haven't made that for you today, sorry. Thank but <laughs> there's lots of lovely sugary things, lots of turkey. And tomorrow we've got a good ultimate Thanksgiving dessert. So we've gone for something slightly lighter and fresher today to kick okay. off the meal. <laughs> Some, a zing, a zing to get us going. Yes. Uh, so, so this is a starter. Uh, what is it? It is. This is a starter. So we've got a beetroot and chicory salad um, with some sugared hay hazelnuts and a red uh, what does it say red wine vinaigrette but it's actually kind of a balsamic red wine vinaigrette on the top. okay that's mm. what you mean yeah, yeah, you, you, you went a bit off you went a bit off piece <laughs> I, was I was like you went a bit rogue you went a bit rogue with it um, now, uh, chicory uh, chicory used to be really hard to find but yeah you can find it a lot more freely these days are you do you like chicory graham I'm going to say no, but uh, but in a minute, I'm sure it'll be delicious. It is a, it's a very... <laughs> I in a really minute, hope so. A, in a minute, I'm sure I'll find it absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I can't lie. It's not my favourite salad It's challenging. <laughs> but I think when you pair it with the right things, if you take a, a bite out of chicory on its own, especially green chicory, it's very bitter and quite harsh. So you need to match it in your salad with sweet things. That's why we've gone with lovely beetroot and some hazelnuts and a sugary honey dressing and a bit of tartness as well. So it should, that bitterness should be balanced out. And the red chicory actually has a much more fruity flavour and isn't quite as bitter as the green. Yeah, and what's nice is you've done it as a kind of a a platter Mm. rather than kind of plating little starter salads which always looks a bit prissy yes <laughs> i think you have to have a lot of work top don't you to be able to <laughs> plate up your dish like that yeah and i prefer sharing things because actually if you've got some guests who are thinking i don't like beetroot they can just kind of pick around it and it's not too awkward no one's leaving it on their plates it's just a bit of a nicer way to present food, yeah you're just left with a large <laughs> plate of chicory and beetroot yeah you just left it, but you don't know who's left it so it's fine <laughs> those sugared hazelnuts went down yeah. well <laughs> and the goat's cheese mm. Mm, delicious <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna eat some, and then you're gonna give us a recipe. Okay, so uh, th- this uh, presumably 
this isn't that hard to make. No, it's not, which is perfect for a starter when you're doing a big meal because you don't want to be putting together this ornate <laughs> kind of display of anything. Yes. You just want something Stress to less together. rather than stressful. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you want to start with your beetroot and you can do this the day before or a couple of days before, to be honest, because it's roasted. So take your beetroot, you don't need to peel it, just scrub it nicely um, and then slice into kind of one centimetre little rounds mm -hmm. and then we're going to roast that for about half an hour in some olive oil with some salt um don't wear white <laughs> when you're doing this task i, know. It <laughs> I feel like, like it's csi csi kitchen <laughs> yes it was an achievement today to keep the chef whites actually white and not pink <laughs> because it really stains anything that it gets on so that's a top tip with your beetroot prep but once that's roasting you can move on to the hazelnut so i think it's all the little bits that you add to a salad that really bring it to life and make it more than just a bowl of leaves and little sugary nuts are so delicious in something like this mm. so you just mix together some honey caster sugar and your hazelnuts and then they spread them out onto a tray and they bake for about six minutes and so not long at all bring them out of the oven and then leave them to cool down and then you can kind of break them up and they're lovely and sugary and add a really nice pop of sweetness to your salad and then all you've got to do now is arrange your chicory leaves over your platter <laughs> you're using red and green in this. I'm, yes i'm using red and green it was really colorful which i think is yeah. nice um not to present something too bland and <laughs> and beige um so arrange your chicory leaves and then put your roasted beetroot on top a little bit of goat's cheese i've used the one that kind of has the bloomy rind but you could use the fresh crumbly kind if yeah. you'd prefer and then make your vinaigrette so for a salad dressing always take a little jar with a lid pop in everything so this is walnut oil it's balsamic vinegar it's a little bit of garlic a little bit of honey close the lid shake 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 and then it will emulsify as you shake it in the jar and then you can just drizzle it over do your hazelnuts and then that's done oh beautiful so hazelnuts last hazelnuts last because i think you don't want them to be soggy but you could put them in there first if you want but no 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 <laughs> no and what's clever is your your the goat cheese you've you've found is kind of the same diameter as your beetroot rounds. i know i was quite i'm glad you picked up on that yeah, i was well, thrilled by that <laughs> It's very nice, yeah. And then arrange on a big long platter. Yeah, put on a big long platter, or you could do little plates if you've got a massive kitchen island and you yeah, have the no space. Yeah, no one, no one can be bothered doing that. Uh, so this is your Thanksgiving starter, and you're continuing with the Thanksgiving theme tomorrow, I believe. Yes, yeah, something for dessert tomorrow. Okay. And if you want the recipe for the beetroot and chicory salad with sugared hazelnuts and goat's cheese with bread and vinaigrette, vinaigrette even, <laughs> uh, you go to our Instagram account at Virgin Radio UK and. You stab away there till you find it. Is it in the Waitrose magazine or Waitrose paper this weekend? I would have thought it would be in the magazine this yeah, this month. Magazine, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know for sure. Of course, now I know I can get the magazine. Yeah, I can free. have a look. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. I'm such an idiot with my Waitrose card. I didn't know I could get it. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's a Waitrose Christmas. Virgin Radio. Well, she means business. She's got her trolley. <laughs> it's Martha <laughs> Collison, show chef. Uh, that looks delicious. What are you calling it? Oh, it's a dessert trolley today. There's nothing better than a dessert trolley arriving in any, That's any setting. Yes, that, makes, <laughs> that cheers your heart. Yes, the clouds have rolled in, but so has a dessert trolley. Absolutely. We're fine. <laughs> so today I have made a Thanksgiving dessert for you. So we've got a, a maple and whiskey. So we've got some bourbon whiskey mm. uh, pecan pie. Do you know, I saw the word bourbon. And this is how... <laughs> 
I immediately thought of, uh, you know, bourbon creams, you know, those biscuits. <laughs> yes. I always have to be careful not to say that because that's how, what I always want to say. Yeah, maple bourbon. But it's not that. Yeah, <laughs> it's bourbon. not child friendly. It is completely an adult Thanksgiving dessert. Oh, delicious. <laughs> I can't wait for this. And uh, this is your own recipe. It is, yes. Okay. Uh, this is a recipe. I did a big um, column for Waitress Weekend on maple syrup. And this was one of my maple syrup recipes because instead of just all of that sugar, a lot of the sugar is, I mean, there's still a lot of sugar in this pie. <laughs> Don't you worry, Graham. <laughs> a lot of the sugar is maple syrup, which gives it a really lovely caramelly flavour and works really nicely with those pecans. Lovely. And I see a bowl. What are you serving it with? Um, I've got some creme fraiche in a bowl just because I think it's so sweet. Americans do pies in a way that no one else does pies, but they do them sweet. <laughs> like, there's a lot of sugar. So I think that whipped cream doesn't quite cut it, so you need something a bit tangy. So I've gone with some creme fraiche for that. Okay, I'm going to wolf some down and then we'll get the recipe. Well, Ms. Collison has made us a maple bourbon pecan pie. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay, what do we do? How hard is it? So, first up is making the pastry. So but you haven't eaten it yet. You talk, oh, I'm going to eat some. It's no, you go ahead. We were too <laughs> we were busy chatting. chatting. We were chatting away. <laughs> um, so, you want to start with your pastry cage. You can mm-hmm. buy pastry ready-made, but it's quite easy to make. So, you just need plain flour, butter, a little bit of um, sugar, and you kind of rub that all together until it's bread crummy. Add in your water, make it into pastry. And then you want to line your tin and blind bake it. So because the kind of filling is going to be so wet, you need your pastry to be cooked before you put the filling oh, in. Okay. So the pastry goes into the oven with some either some baking beans inside or some lentils, anything to weigh down the paper. Just Love so a baking it... bean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone's got baking. <laughs> no, not everyone has baking beans, so exactly why. Rice or something like that is a really good alternative. Um, that goes in for about 20 minutes. And whilst it's doing that, you want to make your filling. So first up, you put some butter in a pan. We're going to brown the butter, so kind of cook it slightly. So instead of just melting it, leave it on the hob for another five minutes or so. So the kind of solids turn a bit golden and it has a really nice nutty flavour. And then we're going to add into that our maple syrup, some dark brown sugar, and then in go the eggs, a little bit of cinnamon, your whiskey. (laughs) By the way, can I say, you say there's not much bourbon in it. There's quite a lot of bourbon in it. (laughs) Brilliant. I wasn't sure. (laughs) But in a bigger slush. Um, You can leave the whiskey out if you would like to make this for children or you're not really a fan but I would say it's nice with it in yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan. It does, it does. It Also, it gives, it's a different sort of sweetness. Mm. It's, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, something a little bit harder to cut through all that sugar. But then mm. the final thing is half your pecans you want to chop up, put them in the base of your tin and then pour this lovely kind of silky, kind of goldeny custard mixture over the top and then arrange all the rest of your pecan halves in a lovely little, little concentric circles. And then it goes into the oven for 45 minutes and that's done. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> That's my, I'm glad I make it sound easy. Though. Yeah, That's great. I, yes, I, mine would not look like that. <laughs> and also things like just like putting the pecans in concentric circles, like that will take forever. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's probably the bit that takes the longest because yeah. you want it to look good but you kind of you don't want to eat this pie hot so make sure you make it in advance if you're thinking of doing it for lunch or anything like that because you want it to cool to room temperature before you tuck in if you are intrigued and you want to try uh, to bake this you go to our Instagram account at Virgin Radio UK and you stab along there and you'll you'll get it And but it's not in the magazine now is it because of, no this, it's this, not it's yeah. on the website oh it's on the website actually I used that website the other night I was looking for your the noodles you made oh the tofu noodles yeah i was looking for those and uh it's incredible the amount of recipes on that website there's probably about 25 years or more recipes like worth of recipes on there (laughs) yeah there's a nice search function and everything it's yeah yeah, i'm in it i'm in it now very shortly we are going to be playing the 
Waitrose Wheelie Merry Christmas game. Would you be our inaugural wheel spinner? Oh, I'm so excited about this. I would love to be. I've been staring. I didn't realise it was going to be a real wheel. I just assumed it was some radio kind of in the sky gadget. You'd think. But no. (laughs) It's real. Someone made that. And really well. It's it's proper. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it looks like we're going to be playing this game. We'll be calling it the some some sort of January thing, February wheel. It'll, It'll be rebranded for the seasons now that we've invested in it so heavily uh, alright you can be our inaugural uh, wheel Thanks. spinner yes my glamorous assistant <laughs> Martha Collison it's time for the wheelie merry Christmas competition so there are 10 waitress prizes on the wheel up for grabs so 10 prizes on the wheel we spin the wheel it lands on one of them and some of them are amazing like you can get a, a whole turkey uh, the waitress hamper all your food paid for in December if you're really lucky you could win everything on the wheel uh, you're all there you're ready there Martha I'm ready to spin yeah yeah. she's changed <laughs> her clothes she's wearing she's wearing a glittering evening gown now um, right let's find out who's going to play on the line I think I've got Lauren is it Lauren. Yes, hello. Hello, Lauren. How are you? Yes, I'm a bit chilly. My son's playing um, at a rugby festival today, so I'm hiding in a gazebo at the moment. Okay, well done you. (laughs) If you're near a gazebo and you see a woman hiding, it's probably Lauren. (laughs) Now, Lauren, so the idea is, so once you ask a question, if you get the question right, then we spin the wheel and you win whatever it lands on, okay? Okay, yeah. But if you get the question wrong, sadly, we move on to another caller. Okay. Okay, but the question's easy. Okay, that's all I'll say. I know you're cold, you're in a gazebo, it's hard to concentrate, but I think (laughs) you'll get this right. Where is is the gazebo, by the way? Uh, In Tame, in Oxfordshire. Okay. Chino Rugby Club, we're at. Oh, that'll be quite the gazebo. Mm, That, (laughs) that, mm, yes, nice. Uh, Okay, here we go. The question for you is, in the Charles Dickens book, A Christmas Carol, the main character is called... Ebenezer what? Scrooge. And you are correct. Yes. Okay, well done. So we got that. Now, here we go. This is the excitement bit. This is the big drama bit. There are ten things. Now, sadly, when I spun it earlier, it landed on everything on the wheel, which is the top prize. So the chances of doing that again are quite slim. (laughs) Are you ready, Martha? I'm ready. Okay, now, what I'll say to you is having spun it once... Give it some welly, because okay. actually I thought I spun it too hard and it didn't spin very far at all. So give it some welly. Here we go. Be disappointed. Okay, she's got Baker's arms. Right. Okay. Ready? Uh, go, go, go. Oh, it's spinning. It's spinning, Lauren. It's spinning. The ex- oh. It, oh, she really went for it. Yeah. Oh, no, it's slowing down. It's slowing down. Soon we will know. What have we got? Ooh. Oh, we've got brown. We've won brown butter mince pies. What's that with? with. Oh, with Corvoisier cognac. Oh, well done, you, Lauren. Uh, that'll be winging its way to you. Uh, is there anyone you'd like to say hello to? Oh, they're cheering for you. 
Is there anyone yeah, you'd like to say hello to while you're on the wireless? Uh, to my family, they're all listening as well. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> Finley, Oscar, Ollie, and then my mum and dad are listening as well. <laughs> and they're thinking, you could have got all your food paid for for December and you got some mince pies. Thank you <laughs> very much, Lauren. <laughs> Thanks. I blame Martha. Sorry, I'm sorry, Lauren. I didn't, didn't spin it well enough for you. <laughs> no, you, you span it very well, Martha. Nothing to do with you. It's all in the luck of the draw. Uh, Lauren, thanks for playing. Oh, don't Thank you have you. A, are we allowed to say Merry Christmas? I think we have to be able to say Merry Christmas now because just one mince pies. Oh, yeah. It's called Willie Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, Lauren. Have a good Thank one. You. All right, take care. Thank you. Bye. 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 Oh, we did it, ladies and gentlemen. We did it. We got through it. Uh, the wheel didn't crash down. It was all good. It all happened, and she won something. She won something, so it's all good. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's a Waitrose Christmas. Virgin Radio. I'm joined now by my first guest of the day. Her book, The Yorkshire Shepherdess: Celebrating the Seasons, is out now in Harback. Already a Sunday Times bestseller. Her name is Amanda Owen. She joins. Hello, Amanda. How are you? Hi, hi, Graham. I'm all right. I feel like you've turned the heating down in here to make me feel at home. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I didn't want you to be sweating on the radio. <laughs> no, we don't want to sweat on the radio. No, we've got we've we've turned it down to Yorkshire on the thermostat, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, with a Y for Yorkshire. Um, so listen, I was talking to someone uh, from Amazon the other day and they didn't know you were coming on the show, but your name came up as a publishing phenomenon. Really? Yeah, they love you. So not the Amazon. You're talking about the other Amazon, aren't you? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the, the global retailer. Yeah, kind. rather than yeah, someone who's <laughs> in the jungle. Yeah, so a tribes, a tribesman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's a big fan of the show. Uh, no, they they were just you know these books sell like hot cakes. I mean, because what's interesting is when you were growing up. You were drawn to books ab- about Yorkshire farms. So it's weird that it's now... It's you're full circle. Well, yeah, that you're now providing the thing that you love. Oh, honestly, I mean, you couldn't make it up. They say the truth stranger than fiction, don't they, Graham? And, I mean, at the end of the day, it was the James Herriot books. I read them, loved them, watched a programme on the TV, and, you know, that set me off on this path. I suppose you don't ever realise the power that sort of the written word has over you. But it was those books that set me off and in a roundabout kind of a turn, yeah, I've started writing myself. And, I mean, it's interesting, that thing is, because we often have a dream and, you know, particularly if you if you come to it through um, books and things, and but the reality, very different. Do you genuinely, I mean, obviously you do, you've been doing it for 20 uh, odd years, so do you, but you love the farm as much as you thought you would. Oh, yeah, it has its moments. It's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure it's the same with radio. I mean, you know, it's like it's sort of like there's the glossy sort of brilliant side of it, but there's kind of like the other side of it as well, isn't there? Well, the only thing I would say, Amanda, is this job stops. You know, even, you know, I love my job, but I'm equally, I'm quite happy it's not 24 hours a day. But on a farm... It never stops. Well, it's always in you. You can't. It, that is true. You never kind of switch off from it. You sort of, you, you sort of live it, breathe it. I mean, I know it sounds a bit cliche to 20, say twenty four seven, but absolutely. I mean, it's sort of, it's the be all and end all. Yeah, it's 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 a constant. But it's also inspiring. It's good. You know, getting out there on those tough days and having those tough days makes you appreciate the better times. You know. Yeah, I mean, in the book, I mean, the photographs are beautiful. Oh, they're all beautiful. You like them? Oh, beautiful pictures. But the the winter, although it's nice to look at it in a book, <laughs> I'm I am very glad I'm not on your farm in the winter. I mean, those winters must be long. 
They are. I mean, the it is a predominantly. It's eight months of winter, four months of summer, and I mean, pretty much it's green waterproofs, drip on end of nose permanently, and and it's hard times. But again, it's that sort of, it's sort of following the seasons through and sort of going through that. And it's that time that your sheep need you the most, you see. Yeah. So. And doing the books is one thing, because that's kind of inviting the world in at a distance. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, imagine that feedback is really lovely and all of that. But bringing the cameras in, how hard was that decision? And how weird is it to have just people filming you work? <laughs> it is. Well, it is weird, but they can look at it in two senses. The, it, at the beginning... I suppose it felt like a sense of validation of what you were talking about. People could actually really sort of, well, they could see it through the small screen. Um, But the fact that we're not acting it out and just sort of doing our thing is what kind of makes it easier, really, because at the end of the day, we don't know how the story's going to go. You know, you have a a perfect idea in your head of, of what you would like to happen and what you want to sort of portray to the viewers at home. But the reality is that that doesn't happen. With, yeah. I mean, basically, we work with all the things you're not supposed to work with, children and animals. And it's, <laughs> and it's all in the great sort of um, environment that is Yorkshire, so you've got all the seasons coming at you. So it's chaos. But you know what? I think that sort of pretty much mirrors most people's lives in that, in that you just don't know what's going to happen. And it's that kind of, I suppose, um, idea that we just... A very ordinary family, just up against it. And I know what you mean. Like all our lives are kind of chaos, but yours at least is against this beautiful backdrop. <laughs> it, helps, it helps. It's chaos with a view. It's chaos with a view. Exactly. I mean, you know, you can't have you can't have um, six girls, three boys, a thousand sheep, forty no forty one cows because one more. Um, all all the rest of it, and expected to be any order whatsoever. So, I mean, literally, it's just, when I write, it's just about the seasons, it's what's going on on the farm, all the photographs are either taken by me or the children. I mean, this is like a photo album at the end of the day. Yeah. And it was, it's a book, I suppose, that people had always said that I should put together because with a back catalogue of like 100,000 pictures, it was kind of begging to be done, wasn't it? Oh, and the pictures of your kids, it just looks like the most idyllic place to grow Wellies up. Wellies and tutus, the incongruous sight <laughs> of, of sort of welly-clad kids out in the snow and swimming and on the horses, all the rest of it. And I think maybe there is this sort of little sense of nostalgia, but maybe after the last 18 months and what we've all been through with the pandemic, I think people are maybe a bit more mindful of sort of their own lives and escapism, should yeah. I say? And also, I mean, I I was I mean I was in Ireland for about four months uh, of the pandemic in in the country, and it was lovely because you could kind of forget because nature didn't know, animals didn't know. Absolutely, digital detox, and I mean nowadays, of course, you've got the scrolling news, you've got everything coming at you, sort of like twenty four seven. And the beauty of, of um, Raven Seat is that I can have that connection when I'm in the farmhouse, be connected with anyone anywhere in the globe. But the minute you step out the door, you're back to basics, grassroots level, literally. Yeah. Because the, you've, you, you're sort of, you're there, you're in knot spot. It's a giant knot spot. I can't even tune into the radio. Really? 
Yeah, nothing works. What? Nothing works. It's kind of like the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> our virgin app. Our yeah. virgin app doesn't reach, doesn't reach there. Yeah. And we should say that it's not just beautiful pictures. It's not just memoir. It's recipes. It is recipes. But you see, you're slightly perturbing now because you said you could smell silage. <laughs> no, no. This not... I'm sniffing myself, Graham. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> These old shoes. <laughs> yeah, recipes. It's got recipes in because, of course... That was the other thing that people would always ask me. They'd say, hang on a minute, how do you cater for all them kiddies? So I thought to myself, well, we'll throw a few recipes in, bits and pieces. So, so yeah, it's following the seasons. And, of course, I guess it's a bit of a hot topic now, isn't it? Sort of eating what's in season, look at the environment and cutting down on food waste. But, hey, I'm from Yorkshire, so I'm also very aware of how much everything costs. So it's how I can feed basically the 5,000 for five pence. Um, I love that picture of your um, your bulk buying. <laughs> yes. Oh, the dairy. I wouldn't mind. That was one of those accidental shots that accidentally kind of got to the publisher and they accidentally sort of picked it to go in the book. And when I saw it, I was like, God. Because, I mean, honestly, it looked it looked like I'd sort of pretty much been hoarding food. Yes, it does look like there's no Yorkshire tea left in shops. I mean, that, That's a staple, Graham. I mean, what do you need to see you through a long, hard Yorkshire winter? I mean, what do you need? You need you need potatoes, you need rice, you need pasta, you need Yorkshire tea bags, obviously, whiskey, wine, chocolate. Yeah. That's it. You can survive any storm. And what's your... What's your plan? I mean, obviously, you know, you're like, we're talking about mindfulness. You're in the moment, you're doing it, mm. da, 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 da. You're doing the books, you've got the TV show. I mean, is there an end? Is there, plan. I'm, well, I'm just sort of exhausted for you. So I'm just thinking, <laughs> is, there a, is there a retirement? Is there a nice static caravan in your future? No, I don't, I don't think that ever really kind of was in the plan. Or, I mean, there was never a plan. No family planning, anyway. It was just, <laughs> it was just, it's just... I mean, literally, you look at today, you seize the moment, don't you? Yeah. I think you seize the moment. And, you know, with all the kids we've and, and the farm, we've got so much going on. And literally, all that's happened is that we've taken opportunities that have come our way. Yeah. And that's the one thing that I would like to sort of pass on to the children, basically not to let yourself be stereotyped and have a go at things. Who knows? You might be good at something. And do you think the kids will take over the farm? Are they interested? Some of them will, but they're not like peas in a pod. You know, we're not like the Waltons, you know? We're not, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Raven's away at university, so she's very studious and academic. But Reuben, I mean, that JCB song, it could have been for him. He's kind of like the little sort of... He was the kid that never wanted to study, was never interested in school, but he's so practical. He's just as clever as Raven, but he just sort of um, demonstrates in a different kind of a way. Yeah. So, so I, I kind of, I kind of like to see the path that they're on and encourage them. You know, so, so yeah, farming's in them, but they've got fingers in lots of different yeah. pies. And obviously, where you are is very remote, but you are, you do have neighbours, and you must know your neighbours. Mm. What's their reaction being to the family on that farm suddenly becoming very, very famous? Well, I think it's probably helped them to fill their campsites and their holiday houses, <laughs> I would imagine. But I think anything that champions what's going on in the countryside and gives a sort of realistic view that isn't kind of, you know, sexed up or dumbed down is good. I always gauge it 
that if farmers are watching the programme and people that don't know about the countryside, then you must be doing something right. Yeah. You must be doing something right because to get those two distinct audiences on board is, is kind of, you know, it's a difficult ask. And do people just show up in your farmyard in the summer? Do they just kind of like rock up and go, hello? Yes, they do. Well, particularly because it's been the year of the staycation and pretty much people couldn't go anywhere else. <laughs> it's like being, hey, where can we go? Well, why don't we go and pay a visit to, to the farm that we've been watching? on the television so we're still serving afternoon teas graham oh fine so we're making them cups of tea will they have a cup of tea so more tea more scones and just basically chattering to people it's good and you know the way the radio doesn't work does the uh, card credit card machine work do you know actually i have got it to work we're all we're all yeah we're all into problem solving graham we weren't gonna let that one beat yeah, us there's a big we? mast now <laughs> yeah we only accept groats here <laughs> no we've sorted that one so so no it's it's uh, it's been it's been real eye-opening it's a real good experience definitely well listen thank you so much for coming in enjoy the rest of you are you down in london for a while are you going to enjoy the big smoke for a while no i'm back tonight because there's things to do graham there always is things to do you're a stupid cow, <laughs> stupid sheep. Uh, all right, the Yorkshire Shepherdess celebrating the season. It's a beautiful book. It's out now in hardback. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's a Waitrose Christmas. Virgin Radio. My next guest, I mean, Toronto, my writer, is too small. He's essentially, I mean, one of the most successful novelists working in the world today. His name is Ken Follett. Hello. Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. All the better for speaking to you. Uh, this new book, this mighty tome, uh, Never, it's a fiction, clearly it's a novel, but terrifyingly plausible. Uh, talk to us about where the idea came from and what the idea is. Well, Never is set in the present day, but uh, it's inspired by the events of 1914, the outbreak of the First World War, because what strikes me about that is that nobody wanted that war. None of the prime ministers and emperors at the time actually wanted World War I, but they all took steps, made decisions that gradually, gradually led to it. And when I, when I understood that, I of course thought, could that happen today? Could we be dragged into World War III, even though nobody wanted it? And, well, I, 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 yes. <laughs> and is there a bit, is there something when you're writing this, do you worry that am I going to will this into being? Am I going to kind of manifest this? Well, uh, um, no, uh, uh, the word is powerful, of course, but not that powerful. So, no, I don't think, I, well, I, I mean, it might even make it very, very slightly less probable just by alerting people to the fact that it could happen. And because... The cast of characters is so enormous and it's set all over the world. I mean, the scenes dot about continents and cultures. Is there as much research in doing a book like this as there is in your historical fiction? Almost as much. There was quite a lot of research, China and North Africa. But um, there's, there's even more in historical novels because in a historical novel, you have to check everything. You can't even say... They had sausages for breakfast without checking. <laughs> when were sausages invented? Do you know when sausages were invented? I don't. No. So, <laughs> but if it ever oh, comes up... Oh, I thought you were going to tell like, us. We were, we were no, excited no, then. <laughs> no, I've, but if I know, I'll look it up if it ever comes up. But that's... So you always, you know, even when I was doing my 20th century trilogy, you know, and I had uh, President Kennedy was in it, and I, uh, you couldn't say 
um, that President Kennedy, uh, I don't know, went to Georgetown on a certain day because somebody somewhere knows what he did every single day of his presidency. So even that sort of thing would have to be checked. And in, do you pick locations that you're familiar with in this book or does just the story dictate where things have to be set? The story dictates it. But as it happens, um, uh, I've been to China a few times. I've been to North Africa. I've been to Washington, D.C. many times. I've been inside the White House several times. So um, most of these were familiar. The one place I wasn't, I'm not familiar with is Chad, which is a country in the Sahara Desert where some of the story takes place in Never. I've never been there. Um, and, of course, I couldn't go in lockdown. I wrote Never during lockdown, and uh, we weren't allowed to fly there. But there's this wonderful invention called Google Earth, whereby you can see a satellite photograph of anywhere on the planet. And I used that a lot, particularly for things that took place in the Sahara Desert. So if you go on Google Earth, the Sahara Desert, they've bought, that's all there. Yeah, well, you've, you've, you've got to be a bit more specific than that. Well, you, yes, you can Google Sahara Desert, but um, uh, you, you, you'd obviously want, want to look at a smaller area of it. Uh, and there are towns and villages and oases, so you have to put one of those names in, and lo and behold, you see it. Wow. And in terms of, uh, you know, the scope of this book is so enormous and it, it's governments and it's nations and continents. How did you... Do you instinctually do that thing of dipping into the more intimate stories and the and the, the characters you focus on and then broadening it out again? Or is that something in a second draft when you go back, oh, actually, I need to break this up more? How, how does that happen when you're writing the, a book of this length? Oh, I, I think um, the people in the story have to have lives that aren't necessarily relevant to the story. So they, you know... Every character that we're really interested in has to have um, a, a mum and dad, maybe, or brothers and sisters, or children, or or, or a lover, or a husband or wife. Because um, if if the reader is going to be worried about what's going to happen, this never is a suspense story. So the reader's got to be worried about what's going to happen to these characters. And if you like the characters and you know, you know, um, in in Never, for example, the president of the United States is a woman who's got a teenage daughter and teenage daughters can be difficult. And people say, oh, yeah, oh, oh, I know how that is. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, it's, so that makes them more real. That makes the characters more real. And that makes the reader's sympathy more. And was it nice going back to a contemporary fiction, uh, or are you now? Are you after this? Are you kind of going back and <laughs> opening up the history books? Well, I did enjoy it enormously. It was. It was. It, I wrote it quickly, partly because of lockdown, nothing else to do in lockdown, but uh, also because there was a sort of momentum to the story, and I did quite like it's. It's. Um, but you know, it's um, it's everybody's calling this a thriller. But you know, it isn't one of those stories where Doctor Evil is trying to destroy the world, and the world is going to be saved by Daniel Craig in a cool suit. There's there's not a big villain and a big hero. In fact, there are no there are villains in it, but it's, the villains aren't causing the problem. So um, it's a little bit different from what I think of when I think thriller. Yeah, it also is that presumably you wrote it quickly before it came true. <laughs> you, need, you, need, you needed to finish it before it happened. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking anxiously at these reports, you know, of the Chinese 
government uh, uh, increasing their stockpile of nu nuclear weapons. And I'm thinking, I, I you know, I, I hope... I hope uh, readers get to this book before th World War Three actually happens. Yes, let's hope it remains fiction for quite a long yeah. time. <laughs> and what about book events? Because you're one of those people, you know, you're brilliant at talking about your books. You're brilliant at, at kind of engaging with an audience. Uh, have you have you managed to do that again? Well, it's all different, of course. Um, yes, I have. I've done lots of Zooms and um, Facebook Live and, and Facebook Live. First time I did Facebook Live, 93,000 people tuned in. It was amazing. Uh, and it's a great way to do it for me because I don't have to get on a plane and fly to Frankfurt. Yeah, which, I mean, I suppose back in the day, flying to Frankfurt was, you know, a major headache. Now you kind of think, oh, it'd be quite nice to go, <laughs> quite nice to go somewhere. <laughs> well, there's truth in that, too. I mean, I, I used to hate the travelling for book publicity, but, but now that I, I've done virtually no travelling for two years, I'm beginning to think, oh, yeah, sit on a plate, <laughs> glass of champagne, you know. Oh, yeah, nice. yeah, <laughs> yeah, you deserved it, Ken. Um, I notice at the back you do uh, some acknowledgements on people you talk to, and there's a Gordon Brown mentioned. Is that the Gordon Brown we know? Oh, yes, he was great. Uh, he was terrific. And um, I don't know Gordon very well, but, but Barbara, my wife, uh, knows him very well because they work together in government. And um, he was terrific because, you know, I could say to him, look, in this story, I think, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking this might happen. And he would say, no, that would never happen. And I said, well, something else, he'd say, yeah, that's possible, that's possible. And he was, of all the people I interviewed, I interviewed a lot of people in international politics, but of all the people, he is the only one who actually once had the power to start a nuclear war. So it was, that was, uh, <laughs> I said to him actually, what was that like? But he didn't answer the question. You know, Gordon doesn't open his heart very easily. And, and, uh, but he was very helpful to me in all the other ways. And also, isn't it, I think, when you talk to people like that, because I think there's, people have conspiracy theories and they imagine there's all sorts of Machiavellian dealings and wheelings and there's a plan. And when you talk to people like that, you realise it's all just as, as it is in the book. It, it's all just things that happen. <laughs> It, it is mostly, and what, what struck me most of all when Barbara was a, an MP and a government minister was that 90% like of, of what she was doing wasn't really politics, it was management. You know, and just politics was sort of the periphery. Most of the things the government does aren't particularly controversial. It's just that everybody wants to do them a bit more efficiently. Yeah, and it's mostly responding to things. It's mostly reacting rather than planning. <laughs> Well, that well, that's the adventure. Yes, that's the yes. Macmillan, Prime Minister Harold Macmillan said it, didn't he? When he somebody asked him what 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 what's the greatest threat to your your government, he said events, dear boy, events. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that is so true, and you you illustrate that brilliantly in Never. Never is out now in hardback. Uh, we must leave you, Ken. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. All right. Take care. Was a fun weekend. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you can hear a new episode of the best of bits from the show from Monday morning. Speak soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's a Waitrose Christmas. Virgin Radio.